Well, that was an interesting week. Oh, I suppose I should start with the standard open first. Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of September 28, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. <laughs> we leave out the weather. Yeah, I wish I could have left out last week's weather. Were you powerless for a while? I was. The whole family was. We considered it, actually, a minor inconvenience. When I wrote the program, I wrote it in past tense, even though I started writing it on Friday after the Sunday storm. At that time, the house was still without power. But if the situation in Houston would be compared to a broken arm, what we experienced would be like, oh, maybe a scratch from a month-old kitten. First of all, we had little or no rain before, during, or after the windstorm. For the entire week, the weather was absolutely gorgeous. There was no need to deal with heat, cold, rain, snow, or floodwaters. So, yeah, being without power, being without the Internet, it was an inconvenience. But let's keep it in perspective. Today's report is only partially about technology, but there is some technology content. So I hope you'll forgive me for the lapse. I heard from a long-time acquaintance in Houston. Here is her greatly abbreviated report. And if you want to read the entire report, go to the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com, and you'll find a link from today's program to her ongoing series of reports. This is what she said. Galveston Island is heading into a major public health crisis. No water. No operating sewage system, no power. One operational emergency room. People are coming down with diarrheal illnesses. 10,000 people are still on the island. And for the first time, I'm beginning to understand why they ignored the mandatory evacuation order. Those who left can't come back. If you left with three days' worth of clothes and you can't get back to deal with flood damage to your house immediately... Well, your house is basically gone because mold will have destroyed the interior. We were told that FEMA had supplies pre-positioned four hours away. Two days later, we were being told that the trucks were on their way. I won't bore you with the details. On the other hand, if Cisco is a publicly owned company, buy their stock. They distribute groceries. They had their route managers making their standard order calls Monday morning and delivering. If a restaurant has power in this city and is a Cisco customer, they're serving. I hope you'll go to the TechBiter Worldwide website and follow the link to the full report. It's the kind of information you'll get only from somebody who's there, somebody who's been there for a long time, somebody who knows the area. But if you're in central Ohio and you were feeling sorry for yourself a week ago, maybe now you understand just how fortunate we were here. For those readers or listeners who are elsewhere, read the report from Houston. Then think about how well prepared you want to be for when something like this hits your area. If you're in the local area, you may have noticed some of the things I did. First of all, we have become very dependent on the Internet. When I needed a phone number, I had to search for a phone book. There was no quick, easy way to get directions to anything. Information that's normally easy to find suddenly became impossible to find. 
some of us even went back to reading newspapers. Actually, I've not stopped reading newspapers. And then we realized just how clueless the talking heads on radio and television are. Check our website! was a common refrain. Well, if you're listening or watching a battery-powered device in a neighborhood that's without power, you're going to have a problem checking the website. Yes, you could check the website on your cell phone. If you have one that has web access, if you have a working cell tower nearby, well, my cellular phone does have Internet capability. I don't use it. I won't use it because the speed and the quality are so poor. Another thing I noticed, driving along my residential street on Thursday after the storm, I decided that all the dead brush and tree limbs along the curb made it appear that everyone had planted strange-looking bushes. And then I had a flashback to 1978 and those tall mounds of snow along streets that followed the January blizzard. Some streets, I noticed, where houses had power on one side of the street and houses on the other side didn't, were crisscrossed by extension cords. Now, I know this violates city, county, and state electrical codes and probably some local ordinances, but police, thankfully, seemed not to notice the cords. In the city of Worthington, there was no power to the municipal building, so the city's website was down. I wonder if they might consider a $100 per year hosting service to avoid that kind of problem in the future. The community center was open, though, and had dozens of power strips all over the place, one plugged into every outlet, and there were signs that said, Recharge Anything. And once power was restored to the Worthington Library, Wi-Fi and outlets for running your gear were widely available. Now, that's not to say other communities in the area didn't have similar responses, but I live in Worthington, so that's the response I experienced. I took a vacation day on Friday. Now, there's something logical. You've got power at the office, no power at home, so you take a vacation day on Friday. I knew I wouldn't have any Internet access at home, but I took my Apple iBook to the Worthington Library where I could use the city's free Wi-Fi service available at libraries and along High Street. As with most Wi-Fi systems, users need to attempt to navigate to any website first. The system then displays a licensing agreement, and after you agree to the terms, you have full Internet access, unencrypted, public. The first thing I found was that Apple wanted to update several applications, so I allowed that to happen. And yes, I did tell the Worthington librarians just how much I appreciated the Wi-Fi access. It really came in handy. On Saturday, when I went to the library to upload web pages for the TechBiter Worldwide website and also for some clients, I found a Wi-Fi signal, but no connectivity. There was some sort of network problem, and they were aware of it. One of the library employees confirmed that there was a problem. So, so I headed off to the nearest Panera Bread store, where Wi-Fi is free, and, oh, by the way, food is also good. Well, I'd already had lunch, and it was mid-afternoon, so most of the tables were empty. Still, I figure if you're going to use the company's free Wi-Fi, you should at least buy something. So I bought a coffee, or at least I tried to. When I reached for my wallet, I realized that my wallet was at home. Wait, I said. Let me look in the car. Let me see if I have any money out there. Well, I did. I had 24 cents, two dimes, four pennies. No problem, the Panera clerk said with a smile. It's on us. 
She handed me a cup, and so for the next couple of hours, I enjoyed Panera's free internet Wi-Fi and my free cup of coffee. Now, prior to this, I liked Panera. Now, I love Panera. The cost of giving a forgetful nut like me a free cup of coffee was minimal, not a big deal to the company, but it did make a huge impression on my understanding of Panera's corporate values. So when you have a choice between Panera Bread and some other restaurant, maybe you'll keep this story in mind. Because the Internet wasn't available for my house, I fell back to some old technology, a battery-powered shortwave radio. It's been years since I listened to international shortwave radio. I used to spend a lot of time listening to, oh, for example, the BBC, Radio Moscow, Radio South Africa, Radio China International, and others. Being a student of propaganda, I always found the communist stations interesting. The coverage was absolutely predictable and repetitive. To the Chinese, the West was always the Yankee imperialists and their lackeys, or maybe running dogs, or some equally derisive term. The propaganda was broad brush, not subtle. But it's been 30 years or so since I've listened to Radio China International. Now, right now, a quick note to the FBI. I didn't believe Radio China International or Radio Moscow or Radio Prague Back in those days, I certainly don't believe Radio China International now, but I recognize the techniques used by China Radio International as those used by Fox News. This week I happened to run across a China Radio International broadcast, and I was absolutely astounded. First, there was far more truth than I had ever heard before. The reporter, who was a man who had an American-sounding name and a near-American accent, noted the melamine-contained milk scandal. And the story was factually accurate, right down to the report of three deaths. Then there was a long-form discussion with a professor from Hong Kong and some European railway planners. The subject was construction of a high-speed rail transit system, and the propaganda component was breathtakingly well done, far more subtle than anything I've heard from China in the past. Given the state of talk radio in the United States these days, it seems to me that the broadcasts such as those from CRI would fool a lot of people, just like Fox Radio does and Fox Television. But to return to the power outage, I faced an interesting challenge during the power outage. I have sleep apnea, so I need what's called a CPAP machine. That stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. I need that to sleep. Without it, I doze off, stop breathing, wake up with a snort, and then try to fall back to sleep again. That process is repeated about 60 times per hour, so this isn't a recipe for a good night's sleep. On Monday morning, following the power failure, I decided I wasn't going to get any sleep, so I went to the office about 4 a.m. On Tuesday morning, I decided the power wasn't going to be back before morning, so I picked up my CPAP machine and went to the office at 1.30 a.m. and slept on the sofa. Same thing for the next two nights, sleeping on the sofa at the office. Then I borrowed a power inverter that could deliver power to the CPAP machine. That solved the problem until the power came back on. Now, ironically, the CPAP machine runs on 12 volts DC, 
But trying to run 12 volts DC 50 feet or more from the car up to the machine just wouldn't have been a good idea. DC doesn't travel very well, and even if it did, I don't have the kind of power plug that would have been needed. So the inverter converted 12 volts DC to 110 volts AC out of the car. I could then easily deliver that 110 volts AC via an extension cord to the bedroom. And once I got it there, I could plug in the CPAP's power supply and convert the 110 volts AC back to 12 volts DC. All right, don't laugh. At least it worked. The orange cat was happy to have me home. My wife may have also been happy to have me home. I'll have to ask and see. Actually, this isn't exactly new technology, but somewhere along the line, I decided it would probably be a very good idea to have my own inverter, one large enough to power a device such as a CPAP machine or a laptop computer. would be pretty inexpensive, 30 to $50. One large enough to run a refrigerator could be had for $100 or less. But be aware, though, that running a refrigerator on a power inverter is going to quickly drain your car's battery. If you really want to be able to run a refrigerator long enough to keep food from spoiling, you do need a generator. Still, when power was restored, I stopped by Batteries Plus and purchased a 400-watt inverter for about $40. This has enough capacity to run a few lights and a computer, although Internet service won't be available. Or it can run the CPAP machine at night. Or it could run a refrigerator off and on long enough to postpone spoilage for oh, maybe a week or more when this happens the next time. And you know it will. Global warming is not a myth. It's not bad science. Anybody with two eyes can see satellite photos that clearly show the erosion of the polar ice cap. Now, you can choose not to believe the science... But that doesn't change the science. Now, you've heard me talk about American Electric Power in the past, so you might think I would use this opportunity to condemn AEP. Yes, I've complained about an ongoing series of power outages over the past 25 or 30 years where I live. One side of the street has reliable power. The other side of the street might just as well be in Bangladesh. But no system in this part of the country has been built to withstand 75-mile-per-hour winds. A lot of people were without power, and a week after the storm, some people still were, both in Ohio and in Texas. The difference is that most Ohioans will have their power restored within 10 days. The situation in some parts of Texas will continue for weeks. So, no, I'm not going to criticize AEP. By the Tuesday following the Sunday storm, crews were arriving from distant states. The crews that worked in my neighborhood were all from North Carolina. Others were here from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and several other states. The response was organized, and it was timely. Electric utilities use essentially a triage process when they are evaluating electric outages. They correct the faults that will restore power to the greatest number of people first makes sense. After that, at least in this case, the crews seem to have been dispatched in large numbers to specific areas. My area was one of the last to receive attention, and I don't really have any problem with that. Some place has to be first, some place has to be last. Had this event occurred during the hottest days of summer or in the depth of winter, or if I hadn't been able to sleep at the office where I could power my CPAP machine, I might have been just a little less understanding. As it was, the outage was little more than an inconvenience. At the house, we got power back at 7 p.m. on Friday. 
Wide Open West's Internet service wasn't available until Saturday about 7 p.m. When I called Wide Open West about 30 minutes after power came back to see if they had any estimated time to repair, (laughs) they didn't even know there was a problem. Apparently, network supervision isn't particularly important to Wide Open West, and the person I spoke with seemed genuinely surprised when she tried to reset my cable modem from her end and wasn't able to get any response at all. So, if you signed up for one of those cable TV internet phone deals, what do you think now? Maybe it was a big deal for you not to have landline service for a week. Eh, Maybe it wasn't. Everybody in my family has a cell phone, so maybe plain old telephone service isn't very important anymore. Except that power outages, tornadoes, hurricanes, and all that kind of stuff can take cell towers out of service, too. I remember September 11, 2001. I was in Boston. I had a cell phone. And calls between there and central Ohio were difficult at best because the nationwide system was simply swamped. For all of its faults, the Bell telephone system had network management capabilities that almost always managed to get calls through. Network management doesn't matter much when lines are down, though. So the bottom line is this. In an emergency, there is a good chance that whatever you use to communicate with friends and family won't work. You'd better be prepared, because there's not going to be much in the way of help coming your way, either. In nerdly news, if you missed the iPhone, how about a Google phone? My response to that is, no thanks, I think I'll wait for the next version. Google's phone will cost $179. You can buy one starting October 22nd. The G1 is purported to be cheaper and more flexible than Apple's iPhone. It's the first phone with the Android operating system. Looks a lot like T-Mobile's existing Sidekick phone. Now, who's going to sell it? Oh, oh, that's right, T-Mobile. So is it cheaper than an iPhone? <laughs> sure, by 20 bucks. The way things are going with the U.S. economy, that's the equivalent of about one or two gallons of gasoline by the end of this year. But the sidekick with a larger screen comes with a bonus, an extra key for Internet searches. Oh, wow, I can search the Internet from my phone. I'm so excited. Wi-Fi and GPS are built in. Google says it will function as a full personal computer. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be able to color correct and edit photos on the Google phone or design publications. Google large cheese Sergey Brin says he is excited by having a phone that he can play with and modify, and that's probably going to make the phone a hit. Early PC adapters liked being able to make those little boxes of integrated circuits do things they wanted them to, and that spirit still remains. Google says it will continue to develop and enhance the phone, hence my decision to wait until the next version, but that development will also be open to third parties. The G1 includes maps, email, and instant messaging. As with most phones today, it's also capable of playing music and performing as a camera. Several third-party applications are already available. More are coming. I have to wonder who's dumber here. Was it the kid who may have been involved in a hack of Sarah Palin's Alaska State Governor Yahoo email account? Or was it the governor who thought it would be a good idea to use a Yahoo account for state business in violation of federal law? Okay, it's probably a wash. 
The 20-year-old son of a Tennessee Democratic State Representative, Mike Colonel, was one of the prime suspects in hacking the governor's Yahoo email account, but a federal grand jury in Chattanooga has refused to return an indictment against the University of Tennessee student, David Colonel. Colonel was reported to have an interest in the email account from which a confession was posted to an online forum. The FBI is involved and will probably identify the real culprit eventually. Wired.com reports that the IP address used to access Palin's Yahoo account belongs to Pavlov Media. That is the ISP that provides Internet access to the building where Colonel lives. The group that claims responsibility for the hack calls itself Anonymous. Clever name, that. It's believed to be the same group that hacked into the Church of Scientology's site earlier this year. The McCain-Palin campaign called the hacking a shocking invasion of the governor's privacy and a violation of law. It did not mention that conducting state business via a Yahoo account would also be a violation of law. Images from the email account are posted at WikiLeaks, and if you're interested in taking a look, there's a link to WikiLeaks at the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. The list of correspondence and the screenshots appear to corroborate charges that the governor was illegally using Yahoo to conduct state business. Additionally, security experts call the policy of using private email accounts by public officials such as Palin incredibly dangerous, because it circumvents security policies that the state's IT department would have in place. The practice is illegal because it violates rules regarding retention of public documents. If you use something like a Yahoo account, you have no control over that. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of September 28, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget, check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and if you like... Send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.